Usually my episode intros are done improvisationally or only with a loose outline to keep them authentic and conversational. But for this episode, I felt strongly compelled to write. I'm emotional and I was afraid that words would fail me for a subject where I desperately want and need them to be impactful. I want to start by stating the obvious, which is that I know nobody wants to talk about death, especially after the past year and a half. I don't think anybody is going out of their way to try and think of the worst case scenario or the negative. But the truth is, is that regardless of whether it has happened over the past year and a half, or it's going to happen in a year and a half, or it's going to happen 50 years from now, death is inevitable. And it needs to be talked about. And the thing that I kept hearing over and over and over again, as I was receiving submissions for this episode was, thank you for giving me a space to say this. Nobody has asked me to talk about this before. I didn't feel as though I had a space to express myself in this manner. And for that reason, I'm not going to apologize for presenting you with an episode that doesn't fit into the fun and juicy and outlandish vibe that we've been experiencing over the past couple of weeks, because the truth is taboo topics are not always joyous. They're not always sexy. They're not always raunchy. A lot of what is hidden behind closed doors that desperately needs to be talked about is dark and unsettling and uncomfortable. And if it's something that we know that we're all going to face at some point, why not now? So here we go. Six years ago, I experienced the first death that had a real impact on my life. I had already lost three grandparents, but my dad's mom died when I was very young. My mom's biological father and I had no relationship, and her stepfather, considered my real grandpa, died in my head and heart when he first got sick and became another person. That was about two years before he physically passed away, so it gave me copious time to process. I had this cousin who killed herself but never knew her just wondered occasionally to my therapist if, in my darker moments, I might be genetically destined for the same fate. On November 13th, 2015, one of my very best and very first friends from college fell off a balcony and snapped his neck. I was across the country when it happened, but will never forget that night. I was at a bar in the Lower East Side when my phone rang. The person calling was one of my two freshman year roommates with whom I had a messy falling out because she had been dishonest about something that, looking back, was trivial. Seeing her name flash across the lock screen was enough to suggest something was wrong. Outside, shopfront signs and oncoming taxis flashed across my face as Melissa told me slowly, carefully, that Dan had died. My heart stopped and my head spun, filled with bad news and bourbon and sounds of a Friday night in a world that somehow continued on without him. God-fearing people like to make sense of such events by saying it was time. 
It's impossible to rationalize Dan's death at a healthy and, more importantly, kind-hearted and selfless 22. There was zero logic or fairness behind it. Amongst many other reasons, this is why I don't believe in God. I worship the higher powers of community and collective consciousness, but daily life is fundamentally just a game of Russian roulette. Dan was the kind of friend where such a label didn't seem sufficient. I think in hetero friendships with the opposite sex, it never does. While on paper we didn't match up, him a deceptively simple football player from Orange County, I a deceptively complicated actor from New York, together, immediately, it all made sense. Two misunderstood weirdos in socially acceptable drag. But unlike me, he didn't have a single enemy. In the back of my mind, I always wondered if perhaps we'd have a future together. Dan offered stability that at 18, 19, 20, I didn't want. He was California personified, helping me learn to drive, to enjoy the simple things, to see the best in people. He always knew how to pick me up when I was feeling low, which at the time was often. His tight end build meant that he could physically lift me when I was too depressed to move, and he offered me his mother when mine was 3,000 miles away. I loved his mother. I loved his mother so much, and I failed her as a surrogate child. Because after the funeral, the open casket funeral where she watched her painted, waxed, lifeless son get carried away forever, I disappeared too. I didn't visit or speak to her anymore. How was I supposed to sit across from this woman and eat a fucking salad with a perpetually empty third seat? How would we make eye contact without crying? And what were we supposed to say? Any topic other than Dan now felt irrelevant. Any attempt at normalcy contrived. And the truth was, I was miraculously fine. My sadness quickly melted into the high highs and low lows one regularly experiences in their 20s. I traveled the world. I fell in love. I started to become someone. As far as I was concerned, I had moved on. Until one day, years later, I saw Dan's face in a crowd walking up Fifth Avenue. My heart stopped and my head spun as it did on that boozy November evening. Then I saw him again in the hordes of tourists on Broadway, walking Tompkins Square Park on a Sunday, scrambling alongside hurried commuters at Grand Central Station. Triggered only by time, he was suddenly everywhere, always, even in my dreams. I couldn't escape. And it was this omnipresence that finally after the passing of many death anniversaries, led me to realize he was actually gone. And I was no longer fine. I have not been fine or felt whole since. Grief is one troubled little son of a bitch. It never makes things easy. It either swallows us whole or repeatedly chews us up and spits us out, leaving us to reassemble ourselves and await its return over and over again. And what do we do if it's another person who needs reassembling? If the grief is secondhand? 
In a Western world that fears and discourages discomfort, how do we find the strength to dive into it head first, especially when in circumstances where we can choose not to? Well, many of us don't. Ironically, bafflingly, the moments when humans need each other most are often those in which we don't show up. Another person very, very close to me lost his father last week. On the same day, his older brother passed away five years ago. The battle with cancer was ugly and the death expected, but that didn't make the void any shallower. John's so-called best friend since childhood, who I know, was nowhere to be found at the Shiva call. Why? She was throwing herself a $5,000 birthday party. When confronted about it, the half-hearted excuse she mustered up was not wanting to lose the money, implying that John's father's life, his own, and the life John and this friend had built together were collectively worth less. My take was that it wasn't about the money at all, but rather, again, a crippling fear of discomfort, of having to face a notoriously animated and hilarious man in his rawest, realest state, stripped of all jokes and joy. In either case, she let John down irreparably. Their relationship is over, and he is heartbroken. Her true colors are the product of a muddled, indistinguishable palette, some vile shade of greenish-brown. Isn't it funny in the most sinister of ways that we're all so unequipped to handle life's only guarantee? There are hundreds of manuals on love and sex and how to succeed in business without really trying, yet so few on how to accept that it's actually all meaningless and could end at any time. Death also has a way of bringing out the worst of people, even those with the best intentions. I think there's a correlation between the two, and we must talk about it. As they say, the only way out is through. So, I humbly present the experiences of people who have intimately experienced death and their fears, disappointments, and lessons learned with it. My hope is that these stories will make anyone suffering a loss feel less lonely, their friends and confidants more equipped to care for them, and all of us more welcoming of the beautiful and tragic inevitable. This episode is dedicated to John. Submission number one. I lost my father when I was 24 to colorectal cancer. It was about a year and a half altogether of him being sick, but it felt like longer than that. At first, I had a really hard time being around my friends again. No one that I knew around my age had experienced losing a parent or being the caretaker of a sick loved one. When my friends would cry about their boyfriends or something mundane to me, it all felt so ridiculous. This was a problem that could be solved. My family's problem could not. Immediately after, I mostly worried about my mom. I'm an only child and focused mostly on taking care of her. The grief came and went over the years, but it wasn't until I started planning my wedding six years after he died do I think I fully started to process that my dad is no longer around. My father and I had a very complicated relationship. 
he was an asshole and sometimes he wasn't. Most people loved him. I didn't always. Grieving over someone like that is a huge challenge. The best thing my friends did at the time was to simply show up. Not many of them did. And to be fair to them, they were all so young and didn't know how to deal with something so heavy like this. The most helpful thing was when people just did things for me without asking, like sending me my favorite meal from my favorite restaurant or, when my dad was sick, going to my house and sitting with him when I couldn't. They didn't ask if I needed it. They just did it. People let me down in a variety of ways. I will forever feel like I am always taking care of my mom now. I don't blame her. She lost her husband and I'm very protective of her, but I feel like I lost that parental support. My friends and boyfriend at the time just didn't know or understand how to process what I was going through, so they chose not to talk about it. Or when they did talk about it, they would end up getting more upset than I would. I hated that I would end up being the one consoling them instead of the other way around. Mind you, not all of my friends were this way, and I found people to talk to, but it was some of my closest friends that really dropped the ball. Next time I'm faced with death, I hope to handle it with less fear. I am still 100% afraid of death for myself and those I love the most. It took me a long time to be able to trust that good things would happen in my life again, and it wasn't until recently, about eight years after my dad died, that I'm able to live a life a little more freely without thinking something bad is going to happen to those I love. I was paralyzed by death, and I hope that the next time I face it, I can look back at this previous time and know that things will once again turn around. The best advice I can give to someone supporting a grieving person is that it's okay if you don't understand it. We don't want you to. All we ask is that you're there. We went through something that we didn't want to have to show up for, and we need you to do the same. Submission number two. I lost my mom this summer to a degenerative condition that no one saw coming. I was 21 and had just been shipped home from university after they evicted us from our dorms due to COVID. Little did I know, I would be coming home to my mom in a wheelchair and only two months left with her. Immediately after her death, I sprang into project manager mode. When my dad woke me up at the crack of dawn to tell me my mother had passed, I immediately got out of bed and went to her car to begin to clean and organize it. The next four weeks were filled with planning, cleaning, organizing, and donating in order to keep my mind occupied and away from the thoughts of grief that consumed my evenings. It's been a bit over a year and I still break down weekly as a result of pushing my feelings aside at the onset of everything. I cry essentially at everything and worry about starting my full-time job soon. It's as though somebody turned my sensitivity meter all the way up until it got stuck, and no matter how much I talk to my therapist, meditate, do yoga, or cry, nothing gets it to budge. I feel bad for my boyfriend and friends as they get the brunt of these emotions and have to answer my sobbing FaceTimes or hold me when a mom comes into a movie. I worry that this single occurrence that happened to me at the ripe age of 21 has ultimately fucked up my trust and relationship dynamics for life. The best thing that my support system has done for me is that they have given me the ability to just talk about it. 
No guilt, no shame, just raw, honest communication. Being able to verbally process all of this with my best friend and boyfriend has changed it entirely for me. The worst thing that my family did was to place an extraordinary amount of pressure upon me to be the mother figure and complete the tasks that typically fell upon my mom. An example of this is when my mom's parents came to stay with us. We never had a good relationship with them. And I was left to write my mom's obituary by myself since my dad was organizing funeral stuff. They sat outside asking for fresh fruit and refills on their coffee while they watched me typing away, fully aware that I was being forced into summarizing my mother and their daughter's incredible life into a single page. I wish I could have asked for help from my siblings or from family friends with everything I was doing, rather than carrying it on my own. It would have potentially given me space to grieve and process, rather than filling my days from 5am to 7pm. The ultimate advice I would give to someone who is going through the grieving process is that how everyone grieves is different, and some people will grieve in ways that piss you off or you find rude. You're allowed to be angry about it. Acknowledge it. Don't react to their face, but make sure you get it out, whether it's talking shit about it to your best friend or sibling, or do what's best for you and stop taking that person's calls. Submission number three. My mother-in-law passed away of cancer after a short fight. We live out of state and could not see her for the duration of her illness because of COVID concerns. We were finally able to get vaccinated, but she passed very quickly and semi-unexpectedly before our second dose. I don't want to speak on behalf of my husband because it's hit him differently, but for me, it hit me like a ton of bricks. I worked on being so strong for him during the whole process that I stuffed down my anger and sadness. The day we knew she was going to pass, I couldn't do anything. And then all of a sudden, something out of body came over me. I put my tennis shoes on and went outside and ran as hard as I could for 45 minutes. My average heart rate was the highest it had ever been. It's like I had this electric surge of energy I can't explain. Right when I stopped, my husband called me and told me she had passed about 45 minutes before. I swear to God, it was her energy that was flowing through me. It was the wildest thing. After that, it was waves of sadness and regret. Things I never said to her. The fact that I couldn't give her grandchildren yet. We feel selfish because of that. The funeral was numb, but oddly cathartic. However, I was back in protection mode. I've been trying to protect my husband and help him through his grief while ignoring my own because, quote, she wasn't my mom. It's hard. The people who sent cards, texts, calls, flowers, food, or any sort of sentiment were so kind. Everything that arrived made it feel like we were so loved and cared for. The people who had been through grief before knew the right things to say or sent the stuff we needed, like dinners because you just don't want to cook and booze because, you know. I had so many people reach out to me trying to contact my husband with the kindest sentiments about his mother. Even the woman at their local flower shop called me and talked to me for 20 minutes. I think it was more therapeutic for her, but it made us feel loved. If you've never lost someone, you don't know what to say, but honestly, just recognizing the loss is enough. Unfortunately, there was close family on his end who did not reach out to him. That was really hurtful. 
And there were people who asked both of us at different times, were they really close or a variation of that question? That's such a weird question because like, does it matter? It's your mom. And yes, as close as an adult man who has lived out of state for 20 years can be. Shockingly, it was a very common question. The other tough question was, did she smoke? Yes, she did, but she quit years ago. So does it really fucking matter now? If you know someone's time is limited, go there. Don't make excuses. They will regret it on their deathbed and you will always regret it too. Be with them. Be with your family. And just listen. Let them talk if they want to talk. And if they don't, then don't push it. If you can relate to them, then do so. It's a really shitty club to be in, but it's helpful to know that there are other members. Submission number four. I've lost both of my parents, but my mother's death affected me more. My mom died when I was 17. My parents had me in their late 40s, and they told my mom she would never have kids because she had diabetes and heart problems. I remember when I was younger, she would go to a lot of doctor's appointments and had a couple major surgeries. And then she couldn't wake up one day. So we called the ambulance and she was admitted to the hospital. At that time, I was told she was just going to a nursing home for a couple days to get better and she would come home. But five days after she went there, she passed away. It was really hard to accept that my mom had died and she wasn't going to come back and I would never see her again. I shut down those feelings and I kept going on like everything was okay. I didn't take any time off of school. I stayed in every sport and activity I could so I wouldn't be home because she wasn't there. After high school, I was really lost and confused. There was a lot of guilt that I felt. I felt like I didn't do enough to take care of her, and that's why she got sick. I dropped out of college. I didn't know what to do with my life. After my mom died, my friends and family were really great support. They would bring meals for my dad and I and check in on us to make sure we were okay. My friends tried to hang out with me more. They skipped school to go to my mom's funeral. It was really nice for the first few weeks. I just wish my dad would have been more supportive when my mom died. I wish I would have been able to help plan her funeral and pick out her favorite flowers, but I feel like my dad was trying to shelter me. It made me feel very alone, and it made me feel like my feelings were not valid. Sorry. I wish I would have went to therapy or got counseling. I feel like it would have helped with my grieving process. It definitely would have helped with my depression and guilt a lot more. My advice is to be honest with your loved ones in these situations and to communicate. Honesty is actually so much easier than sheltering and hiding things. I'm a nurse now at a nursing home, and I take care of hospice patients sometimes. I take the experience of my mother's death, and my father's death too, when I take care of these patients. Because not only am I taking care of them at a time they need someone the most, but I'm also taking care of their family as they sit and watch their loved one die. I also talk to my children about my mom a lot. She missed out on so much of my life. She never saw me graduate high school. She never saw me get married. She never saw me finally graduate college. And she never got to see the birth of my children. 
So talking about my mom and doing the things that me and my mom used to do helps keep her around a little bit. I really appreciate you letting me talk about this and sharing it. Thank you. Oh my God. We haven't even gotten into the audio notes. I'm just like so in awe of how honest you guys are always willing to be with me. And it's just so clear to me that so many of you have desperately needed an outlet and haven't been able to find one because nobody wants to talk about this. Oh my God, and that's why we're talking about it today. Okay, I need to clean it up. (laughs) These are not my stories, but it's hard not to be moved. Okay, moving into the audio notes now. I lost my dad in November of 2020, and the circumstances are a little difficult to talk about just because they're complicated. There were some long-term and short-term things that went into his death, and the short-term being that he contracted COVID from being in the hospital for some of those long-term issues, which were some underlying health problems that he had, and finding out that he had passed was really traumatic, and the week leading up to it was really traumatic, too. Still difficult for me to talk about. Long story short, he was a victim of the COVID pandemic. The grief process, I'm still going through it. I don't know when it ends. Maybe never. It hit me really hard at first, and then I kind of had this period of going in between just numb disbelief and incredible sadness and also bouts of anger. Anger at myself, anger at the hospital, anger at doctors, healthcare system for, I guess, failing my dad in some way and me for not being there or not being quick enough to realize that the situation he was in was an emergency. I immediately emailed my work, letting them know I had to take a leave of absence. And I still have these moments of disbelief, just not really being able to wrap my head around the fact that he's gone. You know, we talked on the phone all the time, and I'm always coming across things that I would want to share with him. And it's always just an, an incredible sort of shock again and again to realize that he's gone. It was so unexpected, regardless of, you know, the underlying health issues he had, it was still very quick and unexpected. I mean, most of the time now I'm fine. Every once in a while, something random will make me sad that I don't really understand why it might have to do with the grief. But I do find a lot of comfort in, you know, we had so much in common when we shared so much that... I don't, you know, believe in the soul or spirits or ghosts or anything like that, but I, he's sort of just there in my head with me. I can just hear his voice. I can hear him saying things to me and I kind of talk back to him sometimes, (laughs) which is, sounds crazy. And I don't, I'm not saying I think it's like his spirit or anything. It's just sort of like the memory of him, the knowledge of him is almost an entity in my mind and I can sort of have conversations with him. And 
right after he died, I had dreams where he would call me or text me and not know that he was dead. And I wouldn't want to tell him, so I would just kind of go along with it. It doesn't make any sense, but it's dream world. Nothing in dream world makes sense. So I would just sort of be like, wow, I, I don't think he knows that he's supposed to be dead right now. Well, that's okay. I guess we'll just text and, and we'll chat, pretend like nothing is wrong. And those were really nice dreams. So I lost my father to cancer. How did I process grief? Um, I don't know. I don't know that I've ever really processed it. It's been really difficult few years, uh, not just for my father, but then, you know, th it was like my father was the beginning of, of things just kind of going downhill in my life. So yeah, the grief, uh, I mean, I still to this day, it's been hard for me to even record this because it's hard for me to talk about it without getting emotional. It's just time, I think, has been... The other thing that's kind of helped me, but, you know, hell, I still, I still get teary-eyed when I talk about my grandfather that died in 1994. So I, I think that's just more of a, I'm that type of person than anything to do with grief. Or maybe I just was never taught how to grieve properly. I don't really have a family that talks about feelings and things like that. It's not very forthcoming emotional family that I come from. So. Oddly enough, my father that passed away was probably the worst. <laughs> when it first happened, I worked out like crazy. You know, that was kind of my, my way to focus myself away from grief. But that didn't necessarily help when it comes to, uh, you know, getting over that grief. You know, I wish I had at least that one person that I could have relied on to know how I was kind of feeling, to know the best way to kind of help me grieve. I mean, it didn't help that I was single. All my friends are not single, so everybody else has a life. Family, kids, I'm unfortunately not blessed with that. And it would have been nice to have people understand that you know, two weeks after the funeral, I'm not okay. You know, I mean, just because time has passed since the funeral, you don't, you know, you can keep reaching out to me. It's, you know, hell, you can reach out to me now and ask me how my dad, how I'm doing with my dad's death. And it would still, I mean, it would still hold true. It, it's it's never going to be you know, it's never going to be the same again. You know, you always wonder of like, hey, if if I had that person or if I had that support system in place, would it have been as difficult to kind of get past this? You know, I would love to have more hugs. You know, hugs are great when they're, there's a feeling and meaning behind it. So yeah, some more of that would be nice. I lost my dad about eight years ago. He committed suicide. He had been a functioning alcoholic for a lot of my life. And in the last five years of his life, he kind of lost control of it. I always thought that if this were to happen, if he were to get in an accident because he was drunk or he drank too much or he'd hurt himself because he had threatened and tried hurting himself in the past, I always thought that I would feel relief. Like there was a part of me that didn't fear it, that I thought welcomed it. But my brother was the one that told me he was the one that found our dad. And when he called me, relief is like the last thing that I would ever use to describe it. It was just shock for the first hour or so. And then it turned into feeling like a piece of me had died as well. 
It was just like being in a black hole. As time went on, the black hole feeling started feeling more like a fire. And I was just so angry. I was angry that he died. I was angry that he didn't acknowledge my brother or me in his note. I was angry that he couldn't get his shit together. Just so many things just made me so angry. But eventually that changed too. And it just turned into sadness. And I would think a lot about like, I've got this new job and my dad would be really proud, but he's not here to see it. Feeling like I was missing out on having a dad and my dad was missing out on having children because he wasn't here to see them. I still feel very sad about it to this day. I don't think that will ever go away. It's manageable now, but there are probably at least a couple times a month where I do really think about him and I feel very sad and tear up about it. The best thing that my family and support system and friends did for me back then was just be present. Almost all my coworkers came to the funeral. And that just blew my mind because for some reason I thought nobody would want to come since it was my parent. It wasn't like my spouse. I don't know what I thought, but I thought they wouldn't come. So they showed up and I gave an eulogy and it was really, really comforting to know that they were there and they weren't judging me. They weren't judging my dad. They were just there. The thing that let me down the most, though, was the person I called my best friend at the time. She kind of acknowledged what had happened, but not really through a text message. And then in the middle of the funeral, of course, I had noticed she wasn't there. But in the middle of the funeral, she sent me a text message saying her car had broken down and she was sick, so she couldn't come. Later that night, I saw on Instagram she was at a party and she posted a video during the time of the funeral. So she lied. She just didn't want to come. And after that, I never heard from her again. I think the lack of acknowledgement is what really hurts and the lack of showing up is what really hurts. Four weeks ago, I was nine weeks pregnant and I found out through an ultrasound that the heartbeat had stopped and the baby had stopped growing. I had miscarried. It was just completely shattering to find that out. There was no period of like disbelief or shock. It was just immediate heartbreak. Four days after I got the news, I had to have surgery to get rid of everything. And it became even more real during the surgery. And when I got out of surgery, I was immediately angry. And that anger lasted. It still lingers. I just felt and I feel like my body has betrayed me. I'm not an adequate woman. I must have done something wrong. There's so much guilt and I've gone through everything and I can't figure out what I did wrong or what I've done to deserve this. So I'm hoping as time goes on, I'll get a sense of understanding I posted something on Facebook about it since I had announced my pregnancy the week before. And a lot of people commented and shared their experiences with also having a loss during pregnancy. And that was like the best thing that I've experienced through all this is just realizing that I am not as alone as I feel I am. I lost my dad when I was 11 years old. 
back then my parents were divorced and it was a weekend so I was with my dad we were at his apartment and he went to the bathroom and a little bit after I heard a really loud thud I got up I went to the door and called for him he didn't answer I went a little bit and then decided to open the door and I found him on the floor. He had a big like Bruce-like marking on his temple. He got up, called his brother, we even got to the hospital. He was like, it's only a checkup, it's gonna be fine. After that, I'm taking you home to your mom. And I basically never spoke to him again. We now know that he had had a stroke. He got surgery and everything after that, but he passed away two weeks later in the hospital. Processing grief is so different when you're a child. One of the things that I distinctly remember is not crying when I was in public to the point that one of my teachers actually called my mom to complain that I wasn't crying. I do think that grief is not a linear thing. I constantly feel myself jumping from one stage to the other, back and forth, and it's honestly a cycle that never ends. They say that time makes everything so much easier, but it just makes you used to the absence of that person that you lost. During the time that my dad passed away, my mom uh, had a long-time boyfriend, um, and it was actually his sister that gave me a book about death and grief and what happens to people after they die. And it was illustrated by a child. It was old crayon drawings and it was written in a child's tone. And I think that book helped me the most to understand what was happening. I still have that book. The most disappointing or even frustrating things that my support system did, it's being expected to love my only parent left unconditionally because I had already lost one. I love my mom, don't get me wrong but she has been very hurtful and toxic for most of my life, even before my father passed away. And she constantly weaponized my father's passing to gain sympathy. She would say things like, I had to raise you on my own because your dad decided to leave, which he didn't. He didn't commit suicide. He had a stroke. Or saying that she would think that I would appreciate her more since she's the only parent that I have left. And it's like... Just because you're my only parent doesn't mean that I need to love you unconditionally. And then you hear from like the general public, you know, my mom's friends that showed up or kids from my school and hearing over and over like he's in a better place now. And it's like, no, Mary, that's bullshit. His better place is here with me. I'm his daughter. He should be here. Like I'm only 11. Like no one stops and thinks that that's something incredibly damaging to tell um, a child. And then in the rare occasion that I would be crying in public because I could just couldn't hold it in anymore. People telling you, he wouldn't want to see you like this. Well, if he didn't want to see me like this, he wouldn't have died. People guilt tripping you into not showing emotion when something so traumatic has happened was also extremely annoying and frustrating. I also grew up going to an all girls Catholic school and I had one teacher tell me that I had to constantly pray for my dad because he was in purgatory. He wasn't in heaven yet. I had to pray for him so that he would somehow get points and then get promoted to heaven. It's like, what the fuck, lady? Who, who says that? My dad passed away on November 17th, 2017. It was pretty tragic. We still 
don't really know exactly what happened, but my dad was on a fishing trip with a friend and I get a call from my mom and she's hysterical. She's just saying, your dad died, your dad drowned, your dad drowned, your dad drowned, your dad died over and over. And all I can do is make sense of one point and that's my dad died. My dad from, since I can remember, was a pretty bad alcoholic angry one, not even just alcohol. I mean, he would pretty much take anything he could get his hands on, um, in a functional way. He was a very successful person in his field, but the moment work was turned off, he couldn't be in his own brain anymore. A lot of emotional and verbal abuse from his end, my sisters as well. And my mom, it was just a very very tumultuous upbringing, a lot of yelling, a lot of screaming, a lot of fighting. I don't remember ever feeling at peace. He had been on this fishing trip with his friend and as usual was pretty wasted. Um, and his friend went, basically they were wading fishing and his friend walked around, um, the bay, uh, farther up than him and came back, didn't see my dad. And he basically lives on the, on, on the water and walked up to his room and then looked down back at the bay and just saw my dad floating in the water. Thank God work was so flexible with me. They, when this happened, they just said, Hey, take all the time you need and don't pack, come back before you're ready. I don't know how people do this all the time, especially without having money for things like this or a funeral planning costs. Like I remember just being so expensive too. I wanted to be there for my mom. My sisters were struggling with it a little bit more than I was. Really the only emotion that I had was relief as far as grief went. Um, I just kind of was happy that we didn't have to deal with him anymore. I didn't have to deal with anything that came with his substance abuse issues and the way in which he dealt with his anger. I was just fucking happy to be relieved of it and maybe be able to live, you know, a peaceful life with my sister. He was very much spiraling towards the end of his life. And I was kind of worried maybe he would take someone down with him. You know, maybe he would be behind the wheel of a car and it almost just felt like the universe kind of stepped in and intervened and just took him away. You know, I've had other friends who have lost parents and it's just a different experience. They're sad about it every day. And I'm just not so I felt almost kind of guilty in the way that I processed my grief or like kind of a fraud, like, oh, your dad died, but it doesn't really count almost in a weird way. I just felt kind of weird having these mixed emotions about it and not feeling like I was really worthy of having a grieving or like mourning process because in a way almost was beating myself up, making this narrative in my head, oh, you're happy, your dad said, but I wasn't happy. Relief is the word. 10 years ago, my dad passed away at the age of 53. He was in remission from lung cancer for about a year at the time, but he was still very weak from being in chemo treatment for three years, and he continued to smoke cigarettes until the day he died. I was only 20 years old. He had a heart attack in the middle of the night and I had found out because my friend called me and said she was like smoking pot with her new boyfriend who lived near my dad's apartment building when she saw an ambulance pull up and take my dad to the hospital. 
My younger brother had a friend who lived in the same building who he happened to be hanging out with, and he also noticed the sirens outside and ran out when he saw that it was our dad. I was living at home with my mom at the time, um, so I woke her up and we left to the hospital, but by the time we got there, he was already gone. It's all really a blur from there. I know I called my sister hysterically on the phone to tell her that our dad died, and I remember being dragged away from his body when the nurses had to prepare him for the funeral home and feeling like if I could just sit with him longer and hold his hand and keep praying that he would come back to life and this would all feel like a movie. I think because of the suddenness of how he died, the grief and denial came immediately. I almost didn't make it to the funeral because I physically could not get out of bed. So my mom had to like help me get dressed. I turned my phone off and avoided any social contact for at least a month. I didn't have any energy to leave my bed and I could cry all day. I cried so much for so long that my eyes would be swollen and after a few weeks I just stopped being able to make tears. I wasn't really eating so my mom started to get scared and she would start crying and beg me to like overcome the grief and do my best. My dad really loved the Beatles so I think the turning point in the depression for me was this one morning I woke up to my neighbors doing construction and the crew was blasting music from the radio and Hey Jude was playing. To this day, I still feel like it was the sign for my dad kind of telling me to find the courage to get out of bed and, and keep going for myself. But I didn't have the energy to like tell anybody at my school, like a school counselor, what was happening. So I just kind of like stopped showing up for classes and then I, I dropped out shortly after to work full time and help my mom with bills. There's like a before your dad died version of yourself and then everything that happens to you after. So I think the first year was the absolute hardest because it was the first year without him being around for our birthdays and the holidays. It's this like very clear absence, like he's not here. My on and off long distance boyfriend of three years at the time didn't even show up to the funeral and, and essentially broke up with me via text saying like, you know, you really need to be with your friends and family right now. And I think I'm a little too far away to be any kind of like useful support to you or like other friends who were just like too scared to mention their dads around me for a little while and like the months and years after because they weren't sure if it was going to trigger some kind of emotional response for me. Um, so I think you realize a lot of people are really super scared to talk about death and mortality. Like they can't fully understand how it changes a person until they've experienced that kind of loss. So it was definitely interesting to see the world from a completely different perspective during that mourning process. I would do so much differently if I was ever faced with, with death again. Because when my dad died, because we were so close, I just did not have the emotional tool sets to check in on how my other four siblings were handling it, or even my mom, who lost the love of her life. Um, they were divorced but became like best friends by the time he passed, so that was really hard for her too. And I just feel so selfish for that, um, especially for my younger brother, because he was 18 at the time. and and. He was there in the ambulance with my dad when it happened, and afterwards he went through like a severe depression for a few years. Um, and I think a lot of that was because we didn't address the loss as a family or kind of seek therapy. Um, you know, my mom is Hispanic, so I don't think therapy is really prevalent in, in her culture, so she didn't really know how to respond to the, the grief that we were all feeling. Death is one of those life experiences that is really difficult to overcome alone. Um, you really need a community 
and you really need to be willing to ask for help when you're like drowning in this this grief. Don't feel ashamed for needing to mourn your loved one the way that feels best for you. And really please try to find like healthy coping mechanisms because I promise like drugs and alcohol don't make the pain go away. Um, it actually does the opposite and kind of highlights that that pain and that loss. It's so, so, so important to remember who that person was in life and like all the beautiful things that made them unique and special and, and don't stop talking about that person and like bringing up those memories that you share because it, it sounds kind of hokey, but always remember that energy does not disappear. It just changes form. And I think learning about reincarnation gave me so much peace on that like spiritual side of it. The death in my life was with my dad. He battled alcoholism and he did use drugs recreationally, so this led to him developing cirrhosis of the liver. Uh, he passed away in 2004 when I was just 14, but it wasn't a surprise since he was battling this pretty much as long as I can remember. To this day, I still get a weird comforting feeling when I'm in the hospital just from all the time I've spent there with him. I was fortunate enough to know it was coming, and he was also able to sit down one-on-one -on -one with uh, me and my siblings, but it sucks because I hardly remember the conversations other than, you know, the typical do the right thing and be respectful to women, and I kind of failed at that since I'm still dealing with staying faithful in relationships, but we're still working on that. Being so young, I thought I was okay, but it was when I saw other dads with their sons, either at the skate park or any kind of bonding really that put me down. That's when I pretty much started vandalizing things and stealing and just any other kind of chaos I could create. It finally took me getting arrested and put in jail to figure out that wasn't the life for me. Then I was just depressed when the date would come. And some years I was depressed longer than others. You know, but I wasn't upset that he had his addictions. I think I was more sad that I didn't have any life lesson experiences with him, like typical fathers and son. I only got one lesson on how to drive, and I ended up just sneaking out at night and taking my brother's car out for a joyride. He never taught me how to shave, and to this day, I still refuse to YouTube it, but I don't suck at it. I just don't feel like I'm probably doing it properly. I feel like I dealt with that trauma the best I could once I decided I didn't want to continue being a vandal and a thief. So with my friends and support systems, I came from a lower middle class neighborhood. So most of the friends I were with were in the same situation with their parents, either being gone or incarcerated or dead, whatever. So we all pretty much bonded by partying and all that comes with that. No one really talked about their situation but I think it was just because we were all so young, we didn't know how to talk about it. I don't regret the lifestyle, but just a few of the choices. With my family, my mom didn't know how to talk to us. It was just 
say you know bible verses or pray about it so i would just end up lying and saying i'm fine anyways i feel like the best thing my family and friends did for me was to let me live my life and make my own choices for better or worse all my experiences were unique and the ways we me and my friends entertained ourselves are still cherished memories we never got to the extreme of robbing or all that but it was just skateboarders expressing themselves in abandoned warehouses we snuck in or half pipes we would build in the woods from lumber stolen from jobs around the neighborhood it was just fun bonding uh, i think my disappointment would mostly sit with my mom for not trying to communicate with me better instead just throwing out bible verses and never relating to me from her own experiences in her life that could have possibly helped let me understand that that's just life i still get depressed but i understand that every day is not promised i still hardly talk about my feelings but i'm getting better at disciplining myself on how i deal with those feelings so i understand that Sometimes the only options that are available for us are illegal activities, but you just have to be careful and smart. And um, you just really have to think about the future. Uh, those lifestyles don't have a future if you want to be financially successful. Um, it's just cheap and quick thrills. I lost my father when I was 12 years old. He was an alcoholic. He died of cirrhosis of the liver. It wasn't something that was expected. There wasn't hospital visits and saying goodbye. It was sort of one day he was there, the next day he wasn't. And I would say actually in that way, it was a little bit easier. I'm glad that I didn't have the obligation to say goodbye and do that kind of interaction. Uh, a few years later, my uncle, my mom's brother, passed away from colon cancer. And in that process, there were years where we knew that this was a terminal illness and watched him decline. And at the very end, saying goodbye as he was sort of wasting away and on tons of morphine was a really scarring experience. And I think in some ways, it's a little bit easier when someone you love passes away and you have a memory of them as they were at, at their best or their healthiest. I think sometimes having memories of that decline can be even more traumatic. For me, digesting the grief was a delayed reaction. I think it really took me like three months to even process what happened. And for years afterwards, I would have dreams that he was still alive. But my family, who has gone through a great deal of loss, my mom comes from a big Irish Catholic family. There were eight siblings, and four of them have now passed away, all pretty suddenly, only one from disease. The family really knew how to handle grief and loss. And I think that that's a really important factor when you're dealing with losses, how used to loss the people around you are. If they're very used to it, I think it can be a little bit easier for them to become a support system. I think 
at that age, at the age of 12, the best thing your friends can do is really just be there for you and hang out with you. But as time goes on and you get older, something that I find really helpful for dealing with grief, and this is my advice to anybody who's counseling a friend through a trauma or a grief is it's okay to just talk about the hard thing. It's okay to ask how someone is feeling about this loss. And it's also really helpful. And I think it's something that folks have a really hard time doing, but especially if you've lost a family member or a parent, other folks who knew that parent or that family member telling you stories about that person is pretty much my favorite thing that anybody can do. If someone knew my dad, the first thing I want them to do is tell me stories and tell me things about who that person was. And I think people tend to be resistant to doing that a little bit. I think people are fearful that by bringing up that person, they will traumatize you further or upset you. But in my experience, it's one of the most joyful things to do to be able to talk about the person that I lost, like who that human actually was. When you're 12 years old and you lose a parent, you don't really know that parent as a person. You really only know them as a parent. And so especially in my case, when people will tell me about who my father was as a person, and their experiences with him, that really brings me a lot of comfort and support. It's okay to just sometimes say, you know, my dad died and not soften it for another person. I think oftentimes when we're grieving, we're also simultaneously trying to manage other people's grief or other people's awkwardness around grief. And that's something that my family who has dealt with a lot of loss doesn't do. We're very straight up about it. And, you know, we talk about death and dying very openly and oftentimes with humor, which is sort of just like a classic Irish way of dealing with, with trauma and grief, I think is, is humor. But I think the times I'm let down or disappointed is when people are afraid to get into the nitty gritty and get real about the loss. It's okay to talk about death. It's okay to talk to someone about dying and how, and who that person was that they lost and how they're doing. And I think the worst thing you can do it, to, to comfort someone or help someone through their grief is to try and tiptoe around it. So um, I lost my father just over a month ago on June 16th. And just for context, he was 77 years old and I'm 26 years old. Um, he had been suffering from congestive heart failure for many years already. But last month, basically all the complications that come with heart failure started to add up and became too much for him. He ended up spending the last two weeks of his life in the ICU and actually ended up passing away when his heart just finally gave in. Seeing as it's only been a month since my father's passing, I feel like I'm pretty sure that I'll still have a lot to encounter in terms of digesting my grief. He was actually the first person in my life that was really close to me to pass away. So I had no idea what to expect in terms of what this was going to be like. Uh, I do find it necessary to mention that I am actually a raging hypochondriac and have been in therapy for it for some time now. So this crippling fear of death is actually something that had always played a large role in my life. Somehow now though, like my father's passing from one day to the next took away a very large part of that fear. It's kind of hard to describe. Of course, there's this intense sadness and heartache that came with his passing, but somehow also a sense of peace. And I believe this has a lot to do with the way he died. I think for me, the grief and the sadness I'm experiencing has more to do with how he suffered in the final weeks of his life. 
he was never gonna get better and this might be fucked up of me to say but like when death finally came knocking it was somehow a sort of relief because we knew that he was finally going to be set free from his intense pain and suffering and i don't feel like he's fully gone but it does hurt that i'll just have to bear his absence for the rest of my life the best thing certain friends and family have done for me in the past month is give me space I've noticed that people who have lost a parent themselves are usually the ones who know what to say and how to treat you. Just expressing condolences is enough. Like it doesn't need to be anything more than that. And maybe just offering to be there when I need it or ask for it. What I don't like is how some people forced their time on me and kept inviting me over or coming over uninvited in a sort of attempt to supposedly distract me from my grief. And besides forcing themselves on me, there are also other ways in which some friends and even family members have let me down. To give a few examples, um, there are certain people who feel the need to tell me how I'm supposed to feel or how I'm supposed to be dealing with my grief. There are also people who immediately asked for my dad's stuff, like literally less than 24 hours after his passing. And then there are the people who like feel the need to ask completely inappropriate questions like, how badly did he suffer? That's a question I've gotten a few times. And one, how is that question relevant to anyone? Like, how how is what I tell them going to make a difference in their life? And two, don't these people realize that by asking this, they're bringing up like the pain and trauma of this whole experience for me again? So yeah, there are people that are very annoying like that. What I mostly wish is that more people within my support system had allowed me to take the time especially in the first week or two after his death, to just sit there and allow what just happened to sink in. There have been too many distractions, and that hasn't given me the chance to just like sit with my grief. I lost my mom when I was 12 years old. She died because of a heart attack. Because I was young, maybe... I couldn't process the fact of her passing. I used to think that I would find her in the crowd at the street or I would make up stories in my head that perhaps the person in the casket wasn't her because she escaped a hospital or someone kidnapped her. So it took me about six months to actually process the fact that she had passed away. I think that you still are in shock. It is with time that you realize that that person is not coming back. I remember that one friend of mine held my hand while I just cried and that helped me a lot because I didn't need any words. I just needed to feel I was supported by someone. Whenever you experience loss like that, I think that you are left feeling really unsafe and abandoned. So it's good to know someone has your back, literally. Like people 
hugging you while you cry, making you feel safe, making you feel like it's okay to be sad and scared. I wish that my elder sister had been there for me in a different way. She was 30 years old when it happened, so she took the part of being the strongest one. And in fact, what I needed is for her to hug me and deal with the grief with me. We were going through the same thing, so it would have been better if we just both cried together. If I experience death again, I would be more understanding with myself. I would be kinder. It's really important to be kind to yourself. It is true that it is always going to hurt, but with time it hurts less. Sometimes it feels like nothing worse could happen to you. So by reminding you of the things that are worth it makes you keep moving forward after losing someone that you love so much. Almost three years ago, my best friend took her life. I received a call in the middle of the workday from one of her brothers, and he informed me that she had jumped off of the Chesapeake Bay Bridge that morning and her body had not been recovered. I collapsed in my chair and scared everyone around me at work. I felt like I was dreaming. I've never felt so physically ill in my life. This had just been over a week after she had visited me on my birthday, and I knew something had been wrong, but I didn't know what to do. I checked on her several times after the visit, and she seemed just as cheerful as ever and continued to talk about future plans. So all of this seemed really inconceivable to me. She wasn't very open about her mental health, and neither was her family, and they still really aren't. But I later learned that she had... Um, been struggling with mental health issues since she was a child. Based on the impulsiveness of the event, I can only infer that she had some sort of bipolar disorder that she had been keeping secret from me. I was certainly not equipped to handle this level of grief. I had no examples of this in my life. No one talks about suicide and it doesn't help that my family is also pretty resistant to therapy. So I had this dumb perception most of my life that mental health issues were a weakness. It's not like I had a trauma-free life and couldn't handle challenges. I had a pretty tumultuous upbringing with what well, with leaving my home country due to a dictatorship and my parents having a pretty difficult marriage, a divorce. But I always seemed to manage my composure by controlling my surroundings and overachieving and just staying really busy, busy but these tactics couldn't help me on this one very much. Honestly, the extreme guilt that I carried from knowing something was wrong and being unable to fix it weighed on me more than anything I had ever felt. My grief started manifesting physically. I literally couldn't sleep. The few times I did, I would jolt in my bed like I was falling 
in a dream and it would wake me up and it would drive my partner at the time crazy. I was just constantly nervous. Everything would make me burst into tears. It, it just honestly felt like my fight or flight system was entirely thrown off. I couldn't regulate my emotions in any way. I even chopped off 17 inches from my hair and I worked out incessantly, but none of these things actually addressed the grief. I don't think anyone in my friend circle had really experienced something like this before. And in a way, we all processed it together. But I have to say, my primary care doctor really deserves a lot of credit for convincing me to go to therapy to genuinely address my grief and talk about it with an impartial person. I think the biggest letdown I experienced was from my partner at the time. I needed his support more than ever, but unfortunately he was struggling from addiction issues that I was too stubborn to recognize or um, maybe just too blind by my own grief to accept. I don't think I was capable of handling any more loss at that point. I stayed in that relationship longer than I should have. And I let myself be disrespected repeatedly just to make sure I didn't have to lose anyone else. I do wish my support system was more open about their struggles and their losses. Nobody wants to talk about difficult things, but we all need examples for how to manage loss and pain. If I've learned anything from this experience, it's that talking about the pain is healing. It also gives permission to those around you to open up about their pain and maybe just maybe be normalize the fact that it's okay not to be happy. Maybe someone suffering as much as my best friend might be more willing to share their struggle and seek help rather than taking their lives. I do believe that I honor her by being open and honest about my pain and talking about her life to make sure that this doesn't happen again to anyone else. My dad died in December 2020 after complications from knee surgery that he needed for about 15 years, but he kept putting off because he was so scared of anesthesia. And I remember hearing all the time as a kid, if I go under anesthesia, I won't come out alive. He was just so scared of not coming out from the anesthesia, but the surgery was a success and he came out just fine because I live about 10 hours away. I was able to talk to him on the phone after his surgery and my siblings and mom were able to see him. And then about 12 hours later, he had a pulmonary embolism and died in his sleep. Grief is something that I have felt comfortable processing and talking about and giving space for. I've experienced a lot of just death in my life and it's something that I've seen a lot of people go through and I've had to go through early on. But Grieving a parent is something different than losing any other family member. And I never felt paralyzed from grief, more so an obsession with grieving in a healthy way so that I didn't become fucked up in the long run. I don't know if it's the millennial in me that is so focused on self-care and self-development, but I was just knew that I needed to be angry. I needed to be depressed. I needed to go through all of these things. And I guess jury's still out to see if I'm fucked up because it only happened seven months ago. I feel proud of myself for holding it together like I did during the funeral process and the month I spent home at my parents' house with my mom. I was on this hiatus from real life. I was able to be home and be with my mom and 
support her and all the while my siblings got back to their lives because they all live in the area. I haven't lived at home since I was 18 and the only purpose I ever had in my hometown was to see my family, whereas my siblings and my mom had their whole life there. So it was this weird extended grief chunk of time that I was just home because my dad was dead. I would not have been home for that long for the holidays if he didn't die and I was home longer than I would have been. So I found myself just finding distractions to put off the anxiety from this upcoming depression that I knew was going to happen when I went back to my house. In the future, I was going to be grieving very hard and I was going to be by myself. So the time I was with my family was like this time to focus on them and to just get them right. I don't know if it was in my head that I was like, I'm strong enough to grieve in a healthy way, but my family's not. So I need to be here and support them. And I have to say, trying to grieve in a healthy way has made me self-absorbed, not necessarily in a selfish way, but more so but more so in a way that I have to actually snap myself out of it and remember that the world is still spinning and it's not revolved around my sadness or my progress or how well I'm experiencing this or my struggles with my dad's death. The best thing that my friends did for me was basically read my mind and fill basic needs before I asked or even knew that it needed to be done. While that's not entirely possible for everyone, I feel very blessed to have logical friends that felt comfortable making decisions for me when I was not in a headspace to think. I didn't want to answer questions. I just wanted somebody to figure it out. And having people around that could just figure it out for me and kind of think how I might want something to be done or think how I might think about something was just such a relief. My childhood best friend and I were not talking at that time, but she dropped everything to be by my side and she met me at my parents' house. She cleaned my childhood bedroom and unpacked my luggage when I got there. Another friend that couldn't make it home um, offered to make the picture slideshow for the funeral and that just took a huge weight off of me. My group of friends and people in my life have experienced a lot of death, so maybe that's why they were aware of things that needed to happen, but I also attribute it to letting others help me, which isn't always the easiest. This is a poem or journal entry or thought piece that I wrote in January during my two-week quarantine after I returned from my parents' house. I'm not much of a writer, but I was so sad at that time it felt like the only thing I could do was just write down every single thought that I had about everything that was making me sad bereavement related depression arguably the most natural human condition I'm not depressed in the clinical sense I do not want to kill myself I do not lack interest in life rather I'm depressed for opposite reasons I'm depressed because I've had happiness all of my life because of my dad. The happiness he created is currently met with comparable levels of excruciating pain. I'm depressed because my heart aches beyond comprehension. I'm depressed right now because I'm giving myself grace. I'm depressed because I'm processing. I'm hurting because I knew the switch flipped 
and my life changed forever. I'm hurting right now because I remember. I'm bitter that I lost my dad during a time when the whole world struggled. His loss felt like the most earth-shattering event, and it does not seem fair that everyone else can complain about 2020 when they didn't lose you. I'm sad because he was an accomplished, beloved man. I'm overwhelmed by the way in which his loss is felt by so many. I'm heartbroken because my mother is a widow at 58 and she lost the love of her life. I'm not able to watch my parents grow old together. I am mourning for my future self. I'm not able to seek his advice anymore. My future husband won't have a sweet, nerve-wracking conversation, promising to love me forever. I'm sad that my dad won't reassure him that I'll always love my daddy the most. I'm sad for my dad that he never had the chance to be a grandpa or papa. He never decided what he wanted to be called. He wanted to be a stay-at-home grandpa and be their three-sport coach, but he never made it to retirement. I'm depressed because my brother lost his closest companion. I'm depressed because my sister lost her biggest supporter. I'm depressed because I lost my kindred spirit. My heart aches when I look in the mirror and I see my glass baby doll eyes that my dad loved so much. I cry every time I think about his hands, his wedding ring that he wore for 32 years, his crisp, singular clap as an outward expression of excitement or frustration, his grip of death on the TV remote that he still seemed to lose, the sunspots on his right hand. I'm heartbroken because I won't see my father's face and beautiful smile in person ever again. Each time I saw him, his hair got a little grayer and crow's feet a little deeper. He liked his distinguished looks and earned his wrinkles. I spent only four days with him in 2020. I could have stayed for five, but I chose to leave early. I'm upset because I will have to talk about my father rather than others experiencing him for themselves. There's a story about him for every situation. I'm depressed that I can laugh and cry about so much. I feel depressed because I'm sad. I won't be depressed forever, but for right now I am, and that's okay. So as some of you may or may not know, back in April, I took a three-week trip around the southern USA, and I spent quite a bit of time in Florida. And when I was in Tampa, I discovered a shop in downtown Ybor called Dysfunctional Grace. It was an oddities shop, a curiosity shop. And it was marketed as a place where death and dysfunction dance in a graceful ballet. So obviously, right away, I was like, I have to interview the owners. So here is an excerpt of the chat that I had with one of them about her attitude towards death and her process towards allowing it to become a massive part of her everyday life. I don't know how to put it. It's just, it's that one thing that's going to happen. It's everybody is going to experience it in one way, shape or the other. And it can be quite beautiful. You know, they leave their vessels here for us to, you know, like the animals on the walls, the taxidermy. They left them here for us to enjoy and to love, you know. It's, it's, it's a sad moment when that does happen, but I don't think you should grieve. You should enjoy their journey and enjoy their life, you know, and ex- celebrate who they were. 
there are a lot of people whose first inclination is to say that any open acknowledgement of or celebration of death is weird or fucked up. What would your response be to that? If somebody was either looking to open their mind or desperately needed to have their mind open. There is days where I'm like, I don't want to do this. And I'll tell them, I don't want to do this today. I'm not going to sit here and argue with you because sometimes they're looking for a fight. They want their side heard and they want to try to change your mind. But if someone's like, oh my gosh, can you please, can we talk about this? Oh, Oh, absolutely. I will... And it has to roll naturally. I can't tell you exactly what I'd say because it all has to, you know, depending on the per- person. And I get a lot of people that are just like, love it. They don't necessarily buy anything, but they took something from it. And that's what I want them to feel something when they leave here. They can be, they can cry. They can be mad. Whatever it is, I want them to feel something. What inspires you guys? Is Has this kind of, of world always been something that's like intrigued you? Or where did we, where did you start? And how did it become all this? Well, like dysfunctional grace is, you know, like yin and yang, good and evil. Cause you gotta have both. Can't have one without the other. Yeah. So that's what the shop was named after. But yeah, I started. Um, I used to be in the corporate world. Really? Yeah, it's weird. Love that you saw my eyes just bug out of my head. I was like, what? What did you do? Oh goodness, I was a legal assistant. Ah! Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and um, I got kicked out because I lost my shit one day on a coworker. She was mean. She would say the meanest things, and I kept trying to tell management, and they wouldn't listen to me, and I just lost it one day and started yelling and screaming at her. And they asked me not to come back. We were doing art shows, and I was like, let's do this. I've got some money and savings. Let's just make it happen. And we started out making really cool light fixtures with like gas masks and old toolboxes. It was a lot of fun. And we bought our first piece of taxidermy and she just did this organic shift and became this. Now we have so much taxidermy, (laughs) so many skulls. And I just fell in love with all of it. I think it's all beautiful. Even when you were working in the law firm, um, were you involved in like, I'm trying to think of a better way to put this other than like subcultures, but the interest in in death and like the macabre and the, the collecting, is this something that you were still doing on the side or do you think that radical uh, life shift and career shift is kind of what brought it out? Absolutely and nudged it. And I had a lot of other things going on personally too. So all these all this huge shift just I mean it helped. It helped bring it all out. I just, you know, you try to find yourself again. I thought that idea of being reborn into discovering your passion for death was fascinating and relevant. Not to say that all of us or any of us, or especially those of us who have experienced a profound loss, are going to make death their personal brand. But I do think that the sooner you can embrace death as part of the inevitable and, you know, an inevitable part of all of our personal brands, actually, uh, the better life becomes. And something special happened when I was there as well. I was shown a mummified baby from the 1930s, still perfectly intact. So here's the audio from that video of me seeing it for the first time. Oh, wow, I didn't even see this before. Yes, isn't she beautiful? She died in the 30s. In the, wow. Yes, of spina bifida. Okay, what's that? 
spina bifida? Yeah, I know it's a hole in your spine, like your spine's not completely fused. Ooh. Right? There's a hole in your spine. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't right? close. Yeah, it doesn't close. Wow. You yeah. want to take it out and see it? Yeah. Look at her. She's so beautiful. Wow. Oh my god. How is that still in such it sounds weird She's to say been mummified. Feels odd to say good condition for a dead baby. It's, it's okay. From the thirties. No, but, but it isn't it's in good condition. No, it's a beautiful thing. Yeah. It's not odd. It's pretty amazing. I, this is something beautiful. I've never seen never seen before. I love her. Look, yeah. She's got a beautiful face. Her ear is so cute. I loved it. I loved spending time with them. And I loved how unapologetic they were about not only who they were, but their like radical acceptance of death, their embrace of death, their celebration of death. And that embrace was not just emotional, spiritual, it was also physical. That was an actual dead baby. And it wasn't seen as gross. It wasn't seen as scary. It wasn't seen as weird. It was seen as beautiful even cute, like an alive baby is. I had another really profound experience with another person that I met when I was scuba diving in Miami. You're about to hear an excerpt of my conversation with Pedro, who is the shaman of the Neptune Memorial Reef. And the Neptune Memorial Reef is a man-made reef 40 feet underwater off the coast of Miami, where people who are cremated can be put into pieces that are then carried down underwater and inserted into a part of a beautiful ecosystem. So the whole idea of Neptune Memorial Reef is creating life after life. And this is what he had to say. You have a really interesting job because you're both a dive master, but also, as you say, you counsel the families who come here to say goodbye to people that they love. That can't be easy. How how have you become comfortable in that role? At 18 years old was when I had my first death experience. And um, it was uh, scary at first. And then I f realized that uh, if I gave in to fear, that I would lose control. And by accepting it, it all of a sudden became very peaceful and liberating. And I felt there was nothing else to be afraid of in regards anymore after that. And that's where I think that most people err when they give in to the fear and keep holding it back. Well, if you realize that this is, we're avatars, we're animations, who, why would I be afraid if I had been deleted from a cartoon animation? There's no fear. So you think life is just a big simulation? I think it's a big avatar simulation. And I think the only thing that we take from here is merit. And for that, it's, I think that this job entitles me to win that merit as well in regards to giving it back to the families and to the planet at the same time. I've always been really fascinated by the Western fear of death and of dying. And it's very much what attracted me to Neptune because this was the only really positive example of, um, I don't know whether you can call it like burial or like a death ritual, but when I think 
somebody dies in New York. It's like a really grim, scary funeral home. Everyone's crying. Everyone's wearing black. It's it's like a cause for grief. Whereas being down there in the reef, in order to build new life, something has to pass. And I just think that that's just such a beautiful uh, change of pace from what we're accustomed to seeing. Change is inevitable. And finding acceptance within it, it's uh, extremely important to see your fears and take the power away from them. So that way we can transcend our own limitations and become free, become liberated. As dramatic as it may be, so is the birth of a child and it should be honored and celebrated the same way. The reef is indicative of both life and death, but I had a very interesting experience actually descending the rope to get to the reef. Because if you're a first time scuba diver like myself, your body kind of tells you that don't do this. This isn't right. Like you're going so far underwater, learning how to breathe through your mouth with that tank feels entirely unnatural. Today it was super cloudy. So I couldn't see anything when I was going down into the water that in and of itself almost felt like a life and death experience even before getting to the reef. There's just something so special about kind of leaving this life as we know it and discovering a whole different one underwater. It is really humbling. That's the first thing I thought once I felt my flipper hit the ground. I was like, oh wow, there's always something more than what we see. I am going to do another episode specifically about all the lessons that I learned during my time in Florida and Alabama and Mississippi and Louisiana. But for the time being, I sincerely hope that this episode about death and loss and grieving has provided you with a sense of community, with a sense of not feeling so alone, with a sense of not having to dread what's inevitable, and a reminder that life is precious. And as corny as it may seem, we have to live every day as if it's our last because we truly never know when it might be. And that should not be seen as grim. It should not be seen as negative or pessimistic. It should simply be seen as a fact of life. And as with every other episode I've ever made and every episode I will continue to make in the future, honesty is the best policy. So I am sending you all a massive hug, a massive sloppy wet kiss, multiple kisses all over your face, all over your body, every nook and cranny. As per usual, if you have any questions, comments, complaints, concerns, you love me, you hate me, email me, AllieWeissWorld at gmail.com. You can also DM me on Instagram at AllieWeissWorld or tie a scroll to a pigeon's foot. And either way, I'll get back to you as soon as possible. I'm looking forward to seeing and hearing from you next week. I love you all very much. Thank you for your time. And this has been Tales of Taboo. Bye.